Well, let's open our Bibles again to Romans chapter 1. Now, if you were here the last time that we gathered together, you know that we actually studied completely through chapter 1 of uh, Romans. But seeing how chapter 2 starts with the word, therefore, I thought we would uh, just go ahead and look back at chapter 1 briefly before moving on into chapter 2. And always keep in mind that as you read the Bible, that the original writings were not broken up into chapters and verses as we have them here in our Bibles today. Okay, That was something that was added, the chapters and the verses. So Romans, for example, would have been just one continuous letter from start to finish. Uh, When we jump on into chapter 2 here this morning, the Apostle Paul will just be continuing on in his exhortation to the believers in Rome. But let's just, before starting in chapter 2, let's start reading in verse 25 of chapter 1. As Paul speaks of mankind in general, that is a, a segment of, of mankind that does not worship and serve God with the way that they live their lives, right? Speaking of them, in verse 25, he says, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason... God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due." And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Verse 1 of chapter 2, Therefore, You are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. Now, I mentioned the last time that we were together, that we gathered together here. um, But this section in the letter to the Romans is dealing with the necessity of, of the gospel. We got to keep that in mind. Paul is going to go on now for a period of time in this letter here and explain the reason that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and why we need a Savior, why it's necessary. And he's pointing these things out. This is what mankind's like. This is what mankind does. This is why we need a Savior, right? It is showing us the reasons that mankind needed to be redeemed, rescued from their sin, right? When I say mankind, remember, I'm not pointing the finger at everyone else. I'm talking about all of us, you and me and everybody, right? But we need to be careful here to to take verse 1 of chapter 2 here in the context of what we just read in chapter 1 of Romans, right, at the end of chapter 1 there. There's quite a long list given there in chapter 1 in regard to how people live that are not being led by the Spirit of God. And that's a key point that we must understand as well. We need to be led by the Spirit of God as we go through this life if we are people 
that profess faith in Jesus Christ, profess to be born again of the Spirit, right? Well, then we are to be led by the Spirit, right? The list, this list there includes such things that are easy to understand, that list at the end of chapter 1 there, right? Things that are easy to understand as sin, right? Sexual immorality, idolatry, murder, hating God, right? Everyone knows that this kind of thing would be wrong, but I'd like to go back and bring to your attention, as I did the last time we gather, some of the other things that are listed there, such as whisperers, backbiters, proud boasters, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unforgiving, unmerciful, unloving, disobedient to parents. And again, I touched on this the last time, but haven't we all fallen into that list at some point in our lives, right? You'll see if you go ahead and look at Romans chapter 3, I'm not going to take you there right now, but it says in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, that means all, everybody. So somewhere we're all on that list, right? And then again in verse 1 of chapter 2 here, we read this, that it says, You are unexcusable, whoever you are, who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. So the gospel message is for each and every person. Remember, that's what's being pointed out here, the necessity of the gospel for everyone. You see, some people like to put themselves in a place where, well, you know, I'm a good person. I don't need to hear the word of God. I don't need to hear what's in it. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to do that whole thing. I'm a good person. Long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm going to be saved. God, God will save me. I'll, I'll be fine, right? But again, what we're going to see as we're going through Romans here is the necessity of the gospel. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one is in a position that places them above the necessity of the gospel. And we talked about it the last time we gathered as well, but the gospel message is a very simple message. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the simplicity of the gospel message, but it doesn't stop there. We need to grow. We need to learn more in our walk of faith, in our relationship with the Lord. You see, one does not receive that message and then go on and just be the same person that they always were, right? Uh, Falling right back into all of those things that you see listed in chapter 1 that we read, this, that, that list of sin, if you will, that we read. Some people will just say, well, I believe. I receive the gospel message, but they go on living in that way, right? But that's not how it works. That's not what the scripture teaches us. So verse 1 of chapter 2 here tells us that we are without excuse if we point fingers at others that violate that list, but we fall right into it ourselves. And then verse 2 says, but we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. So in other words, we can't hide anything from God, right? He knows all truth, okay? And the person that says you are a hypocrite because you proclaim one thing and then live a different way, or the person who says you don't live the way I do, you're a sinner, both of them are hypocrites, Both of them fall short, right? When it comes to being a hypocrite, I have found that it takes one to know one, right? And and verse 3 says, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? So again, what is the point that we see being made here? The point is, you need the gospel I need the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must know our wretchedness and be broken and 
repentant before we can come to understand the goodness of God. So again, there are just, and this is a very common thing. That's why I'm going to repeat this. There are just a lot of people in this world that think their religion, their church, their goodness, that you know, the things that they do makes them righteous or the things that they don't do make them righteous. They're, they're good enough, right? They don't need anything else. But the Bible proclaims that we do. We need the gospel. We need to turn to Jesus Christ. We need that relationship with Him. And sin must and will be judged, whether it's your sin or someone else's sin. Let's turn for a few moments. Go ahead and mark this page. And let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? Two books to the right of Romans here. You'll find 2 Corinthians. There's 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Again, I mentioned that all sin must and will be judged. Okay? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and starting in verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. So, as Paul here, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, writes this letter to the Corinthians, he is letting them know that their salvation is not something to take lightly. We will all stand before the judgment of God someday. Verse 12 continues, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. So you see, there were in Paul's day and there are today people that give the appearance of being a Christian, but They are really not when it comes to their hearts. And Paul is letting the Corinthians know that this is something to take serious. And he was so emphatic in displaying this truth to them, so much so that he appeared to be out of his mind about the subject at times, right? In the way that he spoke about the gospel. Verse 13 says, For if we are beside ourselves... And that word means out of your mind. That word beside yourself, right? It means out of your mind. He says, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. You see, Paul really wanted them to understand And the Holy Spirit wants us to fully understand today the impact of what's being taught here. That because Christ died for you, you are to be dead to sin. No longer should you live under its power. No longer should we live in such a way that we see in that list back there in Romans chapter 1. Paul goes on to say, and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. You see, if we surrender and commit our lives to Christ, then it's not about us anymore. It's not about you anymore. It's not about me anymore, right? Not in any way, shape, or form. You are to be dead to you and alive only because Christ is in you, right? It's not about your will being done anymore. It's not about my will being done. It's about His will being done. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. 
So that's what's happening in our lives when we commit our lives to Christ. God begins a work in us. And the scripture says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So something new happens when we come to Christ and God begins to work something different in us, right? So we're to live a life of reverence though. And I'll talk about that more. Submitted to Christ, seeking God in our daily lives, right? The emphasis of that scripture, though, that I just read where it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The emphasis of that is God is awesome. God is almighty, all powerful, all knowing. And we need to live out our live out our lives here serving him and in reverence of him, for he's a mighty God. Our salvation that was offered to us by the grace of God which we received when we believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, this salvation is something to take serious. And verse 16 here in 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We see here a very clear distinction being made between the one that is led by their flesh and the one that has died to being led by their flesh, right? and is now alive in Jesus Christ. We should no longer fall, again, into that list that we see in Romans chapter 1. We should no longer go back to living as if we're the captain of our ship. It's all about us, what we want to do, how we want to live, right? And who is the one that has initiated all of this for us? Was it us? Right? No, it was God. Verse 18 here says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So that's the ministry of reconciliation. And it started with God. Okay? We didn't approach God and get him to work on our behalf. It started with him. He was in Christ, it says there in verse 19, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation, right? So you heard the gospel, you believed and received the gospel, you are now to live the gospel and to share the gospel, right? I'll repeat that. You heard the gospel, You believed and received the gospel. You now are to live it, to live the gospel and to share the gospel with others. Paul knew that he was called to the ministry of reconciliation, which means to tell people what God was doing. God's reconciling the world to himself. He's making things right between God and man again. Even though he didn't mess it up in the first place, we did right? We, we wanted to walk in the way, in our own ways, and in our sin, and do what we want to do, and call it acceptable, and call it okay, right? But that separated us from a holy God. So God did something about it, and he did so through Jesus Christ to reconcile the world back to himself, right? So Paul wanted to Paul knew he had this ministry of reconciliation to share the gospel with everyone that he was called to, to let them know what God has done, right? You may not be a preacher or you may not be a Bible teacher, but the life that you now live can proclaim the truth of the gospel to the rest of the world around you. The way you live your life, the way you behave, the way you act, the way you live, the way you love, other people, the things you do can proclaim the gospel to people. And we are not to be, as we read last week as well, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. In other words, that's how people around you are going to get saved. 
That's how they're going to get eternal life is through hearing this gospel message about Jesus Christ and what God has done to reconcile the world unto himself. Verse 20 continues. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God is the one that by his grace reached out to us, to mankind, right? Man is to then repent and receive this salvation as a free gift from God, right? We need to be living a life of reverence. And as we flip back now to Romans chapter 2, we see in verse 4, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So again, verse 3 tells us that we can't say one thing and then do another. And verse 4 says that we shouldn't despise the, the riches of His goodness. You see, Judgment Day is coming, and we must live like we've been born again, right? Where old things have passed away. That's how we should be living, the old things, the way we used to live, the way we used to think, the things we used to do. It's passed away, and all things become new and are made new, right? But what the majority of mankind does as a whole is they harden their hearts to the gospel message. In many different ways they can do this. They can come up with their own religions, their own belief systems, their own things that's opposite of the gospel or different from the gospel or just their own version of it, right? To do things a different way. And, and they think that that's going to get them somewhere, right? And, but they harden their hearts is what they're really doing. And verse 5 says, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart. That word impenitent means unrepentant, right? So it says in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Immortality. Now pause right there. Let me ask you a question here. Does the works you do matter? The way, based on what we're, we're reading right here, who, verse 6, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Does, the, does it matter how you live? Does it matter what you do, right? Yes, it does, right? And it says there that the one that will receive eternal life is the one that will patiently continue in doing good and seeking glory, honor, and immortality. That's the one that will receive eternal life. Let's talk about this a little bit more before I come back to Romans again. But turn, go ahead and mark this page and find Ephesians chapter 2. It's to the right of the book of Romans, just after Galatians. Ephesians chapter 2. Again, these are some of the most familiar verses in all of Christianity that I'm about to read here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So no one has done, no one can do anything that will earn them the right to receive salvation. 
No one can do anything. There's no works, no good works that anyone can do that can earn them the right. I don't care how good those works. You can, you can think to the extreme. You can think of somebody like a Mother Teresa, right, who might spend her whole life doing something. Somebody that does all those good works, those good works will not earn her salvation. It's the gospel. It's coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and that's it alone. That's the only thing, right? We are saved, though, because of the grace that is extended to us as a free gift of God, right? We are not saved by faith. We are saved by grace through faith, okay? So in other words, faith um, is how we receive the salvation that God offers to us by grace. So not to be redundant, but a person first repents of their sin and then through faith they are saved by or because of God's grace. Then after that, faith continues on and faith requires works, right? And those works are the fruit of your faith. They're the fruit of your repentance. They show that you've been saved by the way you change your life, you live your life. You're no longer like those people in Romans chapter 1 with a debased mind, right? Living the way you want, proud, boasters, whisperers, backbiters, disobedient to parents, You know, all those sins that are listed there, you're no longer like that anymore. You now have a faith that produces works in your life, right? And then we patiently, right, that is we don't give up on living a life of doing these good works. And And we seek honor and glory and immortality as we read back in Romans chapter 2. Let me expound on what I'm talking about here a little bit more. Go ahead and turn to James chapter 2 toward the back of your Bible between Hebrews and 1 Peter. So James, the book of James, right after the book of Hebrews, James chapter 2. And let's start reading down in verse 14. James chapter 2 and verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Right? Now we just read in Ephesians, salvation is not offered to us as a result of our faith. We're not going to be saved that, that's not offered to us, I should say. Let me clarify that. Because of faith, it's offered to us by grace. Then by faith, we receive it. And then by faith, we live it. We walk it out, right? Faith. Remember what Hebrews says about faith, right? Faith is an evidence and it's a substance, right? Faith is something you can actually see and touch when people are actually living it out. Because you see, well, they're different. They're, they're doing things differently. They, they do things in accordance with the word of God. They have a faith that says they believe in Jesus Christ. And they have a life that shows it in the way they live. So faith without works is dead, right? We'll see that, right? So if you were to come up to me today and offer me a gift, right? Something that you went out and bought for me. I say to you, wow, that's what a wonderful thing you have done. It's the thought that counts and the fact that you bought this for me, it's such a blessing. But now I must reach out my hands and receive the gift that you've extended to me. The gift you bought for me, I must receive it, right? That's what faith does with the salvation that God offers by grace. God says, look, 
This is, grace is unmerited favor. You don't deserve this, but I'm going to give you salvation. But man has a choice. Man has a free will. You buy me that gift, I can say, no, I won't receive it. I can be thankful that you bought it, that you went through all the, the trouble to do it, but I'm not going to receive that from you. I don't want it. You know, I'll get by without that thing that you bought me. Say you bought me a toaster, I've been using the oven to, to, to toast my bread. And I say, no, no, I can get by a different way. I can toast my bread a different way. Well, that's what God has done by grace. He said, here's salvation. It's offered to you. Now, by faith, you come to it. By faith, you receive it. And you begin to live differently. You begin to walk differently. And you surrender your life to Christ. And you turn from the way you used to live. Right? But let's read on. Uh, James uh, verse 15. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and fill. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works, James says. See, these are good scriptures to meditate on right here, to spend some time thinking about. How does the world know that you have faith unless you do something? Unless you're living in a different way? Unless your works show that you have faith? How does the world around you know? How does anyone know? Right? Verse 19, you believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Okay, so in other words, James saying, no big deal that you believe there's a God. What's that mean? The demons believe there are God. Are you any better? That, that doesn't make you any better than the demons. And he says, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he called and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Right? So that faith, he's saying, has to produce works. It's got to produce something. You can't just sit around and say you have faith and not live like it. Okay? Likewise, verse 25, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. It's really difficult to miss the point here, isn't it? Faith without works is really no faith at all. And as we flip back to Romans chapter 2 now, verses 6 and 7 again say that God will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Verse 8, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, on the Jew first and also the Greek. So anybody doesn't matter, right? Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does what? Who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. So what you do does matter. How you live does matter. If a person professes 
faith in Jesus Christ but continues to live in an unrighteous manner, that person will be no better off than the atheists in the end, right? Verse 12, For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. So as we go through the rest of chapter 2 here this morning, we'll see that Paul's letter is directed to the Jews and the Gentiles here as he speaks, right? But he's kind of speaking directly towards some Jews here. Paul has a goal to preach the gospel in Rome, though, to both the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews lived by the the law of Moses, and Paul is pointing out to them here in verse 12 that sin is sin. If you live without the law and you sin, you'll perish. If you live by the law and you sin, then you're still going to be judged by that sin. You're still going to be judged for your sin, right? So the bottom line is that sin is sin. Remember what Paul is pointing out. I'm going to keep reminding you of this, the necessity of the gospel. The reason we need Jesus is because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. The Jews who had the law are not any better off than the Gentiles because they, they, the Jews who had the law, you know, judge people for their sin maybe, but yet they themselves do the same thing. He's pointing that out to them. Same thing with religions today. We all know great religious leaders today or big churches, some of the largest churches in all the world who have their leaders commit sexual sin molesting children, doing things like that, right? And yet they're going to judge other people's sin and they're going to forgive your sin and they're going to do these other things. No, it all comes back to everybody needs the gospel. Everybody needs Jesus Christ. Everybody needs to come to faith in Him and repent of their sin and turn to Him and be led by His Spirit and filled with the Spirit. Right? Verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles do not, excuse me, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, and their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So Paul, what he's doing here, well, what we just read, he's, he's directing it back to the heart who a person really is in their heart. Again, these Jews had the law, and they could be judging and condemning others based on that law, but they themselves were doing the same thing. Jesus accused them of the same thing, right? He said they were clean on the outside, whitewashed tombs, right? They looked all clean on the outside, but full of dead man's bones on the inside. In other words, they weren't really living from their heart what they were supposed to be living. So what's truly in our hearts today, right? Who are we when no one is looking? Verse 17, Indeed, you are called a Jew and and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? So now Paul is setting them up here to see their own wretchedness. And remember, the Word of God is a living Word. It is as applicable for you and me today as it was to the recipients of this letter in Paul's day. All the people today that feel they are righteous in and of themselves, either by their good deeds or by their church affiliation, 
They consider themselves maybe to be an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. He says, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourselves? In other words, how's this affecting you? Even when I teach this stuff, I, 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 I tell you time and time again, it points, even when I write these teachings, when I sit down and study and, and write these teachings, it's to me. It's to me, and I'm just sharing it with you. It's, it's me asking myself, how am I living? How should I be living? Am I drawing closer and closer to the Lord? And I want to be. You, it goes on to say, you who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. See, when we think about that, and he's like I said, he's kind of pinpointing these Jews here. But today we can consider a Gentile anyone that hasn't come to faith in Jesus Christ. And if we go on professing to know the Word of God, professing to be born again, professing to live by faith in Jesus Christ, but people see us not doing that. People see us in a different way because of the way we're living. We're, we're blaspheming the name of God because we're taking His name. I always tell couples when I do marital counseling with them or I'm going to marry them, you know, do the, the ceremony with them, you can't get divorced. I mean, I don't even want to do this wedding if there's ever a possibility you're going to get divorced because you're going to be blaspheming in the name of God because I'm going to marry you in the name of God. I'm going to do this in the name of Jesus Christ and then you're going to let it come apart someday. I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, And it's the same way with how we live our lives. We can't profess to have faith in Jesus Christ if we're not going to live it. And he's speaking to these Jews here and the law that they had and what they lived by. And he says in verse 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. In other words, if you're going to do something as a part of your religion, something as the way you live, an outward expression of this in some way, shape or form, but yet you're actually not going to live it. Well, then well, what does that profit? Now, I can see if you're going to do some outward expression of your religion and then you're going to be a person that does what you say and you really live it out. That's another thing he's saying. For circumcision, or verse 26, therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? So this really does apply to us today. Again, it applies to how we live. You know, again, if we're professing faith in Jesus Christ, then we've got to have the works that show it got to live in a manner that shows it. It's not a matter of what we say. Again, it's not a matter of what church we go to or where we gather, whatever, whatever it may be. It's a matter of the heart. And Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what's truly in you is going to come out. It's going to be seen, right? Your actions will declare where you are in Christ, right? Because your actions are a result of your heart. Verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. Again, Paul's pointing them back to what's in their heart, trying to get them to see the necessity of the gospel, right? So as Paul addresses this letter to the Jews in Rome, the Holy Spirit addresses it to you and me today. Religion says, come and be one of us. Do the things we do and you'll be good with God. Live your life the way we live our lives. Follow our ways, right? But God's word here tells us 
that our focus needs to be from the inside out. We don't need the praises of men, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God shows no partiality. We shouldn't judge others if we ourselves are not living in a certain manner. And remember, God's grace is for them as much as God's grace is for you, right? We should be working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That is working out our salvation with reverence, right? Living a life of reverence before God for all that he's done to redeem us in giving us his son. If we are focused on his love and goodness toward us, we then will begin to live differently. If we will understand what a wretch and what a worm and what a no good sinner we were, that Christ would save us, we would have love for others as well. But it all starts with who we are in our hearts. Have we truly come to Christ? If so, then do the works that we do, that is our actions, proclaim this fact. Today, though, we all woke up to something beautiful. And I'll tell you what that is. We all woke up this morning to the fact that God's mercy, God's compassion is here for us today. It's new today. Let me actually have you read what I'm talking about this morning. I'll close by having you turn with me here to the Old Testament book of Lamentations. Go ahead and take a moment and find Lamentations. If you need to look it up in the contents, it's in the Old Testament. It's between Jeremiah and Ezekiel, if that helps. We're looking for Lamentations chapter Lamentations chapter 3 And we'll start reading in verse 21. So Lamentations 3, 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. That's why I said we woke up to something beautiful today. The compassion, the mercy of God is new every morning. He says, he goes on to say, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Think about that. He's saying, my soul says, the Lord is my portion. This is how we worship God from within us. Our soul calls out to God. That's why we have prayer, and it's beautiful, prayer and praise, right? We can cry out to God from our soul and say, the Lord is my portion, He's my strength, He's my help, right? And we call out to Him, and His mercy, His compassion is new every morning. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So this is a good exhortation to close with today. Today is new, and we have the opportunity with God to begin again anew. We can think about all the things that we've read today. We can think about faith without works is dead and judge and say, hey, how how are our works? How are we? Living, how have we been living? Have I really been living the way that Christ wants me to live? And then we can look and say, well, God, your mercy's new today. Your compassion is new today. And you are faithful, right? His love never fails us. He is good to the soul that seeks him. So how is your life today? Are you patiently continuing in the faith, 
so that you may receive eternal life, patiently continuing and seeking the Lord's will to be done in your daily life, if you will just surrender all that you are to Him, then He will work in you, as I read to you as well. He will work in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. He will do a work in you that He will not relent on until He's perfected you. He'll keep growing you and growing you and growing you. But not if your attention's not on Him. Not if you're focused on the things of the world. Not if you're just living like all the rest of the world around you. Well, then you're, you're not truly seeking God, if that's the case. You're not a true seeker of God. So you can't turn away. You can't turn again to the things of old. We must walk in and we must live every day in this new life that God gives us, the abundant life that we have in Christ Jesus. You see, this is why we gather. You know, Hebrews 10.24 says that we gather together like this so that we can stir up love and good works in one another. That's what Hebrews 10.24 says. That's why I believe we gather. That's why I do these teachings, to stir up love and good works in you and in me. Right, that we can, and to exhort us to just stay the course, to to take heed to the word of God, and to be actual doers and not just forgetful hearers of God's word. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we need you. As the old song says, we need thee every hour. God, and I'll take it even further, Lord, and say, I need you every minute, every second, with every breath I take. Lord, we need you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us, Lord. For apart from you, we can do nothing. We all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. But we thank you for who you are and that your mercy is new this morning, Lord, that we can call out to you, Lord. And I pray for those that will listen to this recording, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and to their minds, Lord, and renew them in the spirit of their minds and call them to you, Lord, to that place of faith in you, just trusting in and hoping in you. And for each one of us here today, Lord, may we continue to seek you, And may we praise you with all of our hearts, soul, minds, and strength, and love you, Lord, with all that we have. We thank you again for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.